Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Culture Changers, the podcast that brings you unconventional wisdom by uncommon people. Together, we are shattering old paradigms to reshape our world and inviting you to make your own mark. I think we're missing a lot of our intuition. I think society sends us a lot of messages that tell us not to listen to our guts, and we lose our in touch with that part of us, our intuition. Hey, it's Allison, and I have something pretty personal to share, something I've never really said out loud and something I feel a ton of guilt about. Like most parents, I absolutely adore my kids. I have two of them. They're five and eight. But my dirty little secret is that I hate playing with them. I love my kids, but crafts and board games and drawing and playing baseball out back... Ugh, I don't like it. As always, I assume that if I feel that way, I couldn't be the only one. So I sought out a parenting expert and found just the right one. Cindy Robinson, the founder of the Kid Factory in the Kid Factory podcast, is a science-based intuitive healer specializing in parents and teens. I know that might sound a little unfamiliar, but just go with me on this. I was really surprised with her guidance, and I'm pretty sure that she nails it. I'd love to hear your feedback on this, and if you think this could be a conversation starter with other friends, please share it. Here is my chat with Cindy Robinson. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself and your background, and then we'll get into the meat because I have a very, very controversial admission that that will probably paint me in a very, very negative, judgmental light, or not judgmental. I think that people will have a strong opinion about it. So Cindy, welcome back to the show. You know I adore you. I'm so grateful to have you on. So tell us more. Thank you. I don't Catch think it's going to I don't think you're going to paint yourself in quite the corny thing. But um, yes, so the Kid Factory was always designed to be an evolution. Um, it, when I created it, it was as a mom on a journey trying to figure out why our kids were struggling so much when I knew that parents were trying so hard. So that's it's always been set up to be a journey and an evolution. And I did not know where it was going to go. And so ultimately, now two and a half years into the journey, it has evolved to a place where I really feel like I do have an understanding of where our families are at, where our kids are at, um, how this has all kind of gone so wrong, how good intentions um, haven't paid off too well for our kids' mental health, and how we as parents are putting a lot of pressure that's not necessary on ourselves. And so ultimately, it started as pop-up junkyard playgrounds that were just, I knew that play was important. That's where I was at the beginning of the journey. So I created these pop-up playgrounds with cardboard boxes and duct tape and stuff for families to come and experience free play for an afternoon and, and parents learn how to incorporate that in their daily lives. And I learned there's, there's more than just play that we need both as parents and as kids. So, um, COVID kind of put, the squash on all of my pop-up events, but that really helped push me to grow even further. And um, now I've eventually realized a calling that all of the things I've learned on this journey, I want to help parents navigate um, individually and also help teens navigate individually. So I became a coach. Um, I hate the word coach, so I refuse to use the word life coach, but I call myself an intuitive healing coach. Um, because that ended up being the path that I found 
I could be helpful to parents and teens with. And so now, so what is an intuitive healing coach? What is your mission? What is your promise? It's a made-up name by me. I mean, not to say that no one's ever used that name before, but I certainly didn't pull that name from somewhere else. Um, But I think we're missing a lot of our intuition. I think society sends us a lot of messages that tell us not to listen to our guts, and we lose our in touch with that part of us, our intuition. And um, myself being a survivor of a lot of different types of traumas, I was terrified to heal to a certain level because I thought Hmm. I was going to unlock something so painful I couldn't handle it or I didn't want to be crying and sobbing in front of a therapist. You know, I wanted to keep a stiff upper lip. And I learned that actually our intuition can can take us where we need to go um, and can heal us in a way that doesn't feel as invasive or intrusive. Um, And so through mentorships with hypnotherapists and tons and tons of trainings, um, I have learned how to tap into your intuition without it feeling like so violating Um, and you heal at your own pace. And I think when we give ourselves permission to do that, that's when real change happens. That is so profound, Cindy. And I'm, I'm so excited to have you on because I feel like through the pandemic, especially parents are faced with their own perceived shortcomings, whether it is society-based, whether it is um, their own internal measuring stick of what a good parent is and what a good employee is and how, you know, what a good wife or husband or partner is. And, uh, and it's, it's really challenging. I know for myself that when my kids school closed down and I was juggling work and juggling, uh, managing their, their education at home and, you know, a marriage and, and parenting and all of that stuff. And I felt like I, I came face to face with how not great of a parent I am. I was yelling at them more. And one of the reasons why I reached out to you is because I realized that I hate playing with my kids. I hate it. I love my kids. I adore them with all my heart. And there are things that I absolutely cherish. Like I love when they ask me really difficult questions about why does somebody die? Where do they go? Tell me about sex. They're not asking about that, but I love being able to have meaningful conversations with them. But when it comes to sitting on the floor and playing with them or inventing something, I, uh, I feel awful. I feel like I would rather stick hot pins in my eye. (laughs) And, you know, from a controversial perspective, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say that. And I thought, if I'm feeling this way, I am sure that I'm not the only one. And I thought, you know, I've reached out to you. You're always my my go-to parent of, you know, how do I navigate this? You know, because I really have been feeling um, feeling awful. Like I'm, I'm missing out on my kids, um, upbringing because I just don't want to do it. And they beg me for time. They beg me to play with them, to watch them, to do all, all of these things. Um, and I don't want to do it and I I will do it, but it's limited. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to figure out how, how can we unpack this? If I'm, assuming, I'm making the assumption that I'm not the only person 
that feels that way. You know, um, where do I go from here? Where does somebody go from here to kind of unpack what that looks like? And I'd be curious yeah. to get your take. And why you? Why you? <laughs> why should I tell you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's a lot to unpack. I think if we'll just pretend like if you're in a session with me, um, the first thing that the word that keeps coming to my mind is inadequate. It feels like you feel inadequate as a parent. And I think you're certainly not alone in that. How that presents itself is a million different ways. For some parents, it's not wanting to play. For some parents, it's not having enough time to play, um, but wanting to. And so, yeah, feeling inadequate is not new in parenting. It feels like it comes standard with the parenting sure. package. But uh, the other thing is um, you don't – you could look at it two ways. You could either want and be passionate about learning how to be playful um, or you could give yourself permission not to be. Um, maybe you're just not the girl that they play with. And I think as parents, especially since the pandemic, we feel like we have to play every role in our child's life. And that's just not the case. I mean, in fact, when it comes to, you know, you think nature versus nurture. Nurture, we, what do you think? Parent. What is nurture? It's parenting. But that's not even true. About half of that are friendships, okay? So if you think of half of who your child that, you know, isn't in their DNA, who they're going to become, you only have to play half of that role. You only have to get that right half the time, honestly. Uh, the other half goes to friendships and other relationships, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, cousins, whatever. So delegate that out, just like you would delegate anything else out. If you don't like to play, don't play. And there's a, you say you're the only one, you're not the only one at all. In fact, there's a lot of parents and some of it, um, trends is kind of trauma responsy to, to playfulness and play what we think. And I assume what you mean by say play. Say that again. Say that again um, about so, trauma response. Yeah. So a lot of parents have what's considered like a trauma response to play. So a, they dissociate. Like, do you find that if you're on the floor, you just kind of zone out? Totally. Um, you have trouble focusing on what it is you're supposed to be doing. Well, I think it's more that I don't know how to play. I don't know what would be fun, even though, you know, like there, my son loves to draw and his favorite thing, like he lights up when I just sit on the floor and watch him draw. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. But if he asked me, mommy, can you create a ship? And I'm like, no, no, I can't, you know, or can you play Legos with me? And I'm like, I could snap things together and then he may not like it, you know, but I'm there with him. And so I think, I think it is, you know, and I, I wonder about how much time I invest in work in, you know, my podcast and my things that I feel like I can do where I always feel like I have stuff to do that I would rather do than mm -hmm. sit down and play with my kids because I don't feel good at it. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if it is, you know, I don't know if it's a trauma response or just not feeling like I enjoy or know what would be fun. Yeah. Well, I don't mean that as in it's definitely a trauma response, but it looks like one for a lot of parents because they mm. do feel like they're failing at something um, and it seems really, really important to them to be good at it. Um, and whether that's play or another aspect of parenting, that's kind of what happens. And a lot of times when we are trying to do things as a parent that doesn't feel natural natural or doesn't feel intuitive to us, then we do dissociate. We just kind of check out, um, probably become irritable, things like that. So it's just you reminding yourself every time you go to play with them, you're reminding yourself, 
of something that you feel like a failure at. So you could either, you could take one or two ways. One is try and dive deeper into what, what is it about play? Um, is it a vulnerability thing or is it um, just not your thing? You know, but maybe getting to the bottom of playfulness. Do you are you playful in other ways? You know, or not do really. you really not, <laughs> not enjoy? Really. Yeah. So you need to maybe either tap into, okay, what is that about? Because playfulness and joyfulness don't have to go hand in hand, but you do need to make sure that joyfulness is part of your life. So if you're just kind of always distracting yourself and always working and play becomes this sort of mindless downtime that your brain starts to attack you, you know, because you don't like to have downtime, then you might want to look at that and start to think about why that might be and what Mm. is your root of not being able to have that quiet time. But if you're able to have joyfulness in other things and it's just not this, then I mean, honestly, then delegate the play. You have too, luckily. So delegate the play to each other. It's okay to say, you know, Legos aren't really my thing. You and your sister go play Legos or you go play by yourself. I think we don't know that's okay to say. It's totally fine to say. And then, um, you know, like I was saying to you earlier, I'm a big believer in it's better to have an authentic parent than to have a parent who forces herself to pretend she likes play. Can you so, say that again? That is so <laughs> culture changing. <laughs> that well, is so Now profound. that you put all the pressure on. Yeah, um, say it again. It is absolutely true. It is, in the end, it is better to have an authentic parent than to have a parent who is pretending to do all the things they think a good parent does. Mm. So, you know, tap into your authenticity. And if you just genuinely don't like these, if there's something hurting inside of you that, that, is triggering. You you didn't get to enjoy playfulness and now doing it with your children, you just feel like a failure. You know, that's something that you maybe need to heal, but it doesn't mean that definitely is something broken in you that you need to heal. It could just mean this is not your thing. And you can yeah. spend quality time with your kids having deep talks at bedtime and going, if you like hiking or whatever way you are experiencing joyfulness, you can incorporate them in it. And that's fine. Like that, that can be it. You don't have to play. I wonder what the conversation would be like or changing the conversation to what authentic parenthood looks like. You know, and I think about the guilt of, I have said, you know, to my son, he knows I don't really care about Legos and and my husband is great at it, you know, but he is, you know, pressed for time as well and he'll do it when he can. But there are times when my son will say, mommy, I just hate that I'm playing alone all the time. I wish somebody would play with me. And I'll say, well, I'll have your sister play with you. He's like, she doesn't, she just messes my stuff, you know? So there, there is a certain level of, of guilt of not being able to provide, especially in a pandemic when they are limited to be able to see their friends. And I think that's the tension that we feel as parents. But how, how do you see, Cindy, of changing the conversation of what, you know, what can we provi- give ourselves permission to feel or to do or to be authentic and and not feel so much guilt and pressure to perform and provide for our kids in the way that they're asking for. Yeah, I think the first step is that you have to acknowledge that right now people are going to experience pain. Like all of you guys are going to be disappointed right now. This is not going to be mm. the best time ever. Um, yeah, yeah, you're restrained by 
socializing. Everything is restrained. Everything is restricted. Everything is scary and big. Um, so you have to acknowledge that and you have to know that, yeah, your son's going to be bummed about that and he should be. And it isn't so much about preventing him from feeling that or that you have to take on that role as much as it is just acknowledging that he feels that way. Like instead of running to fix it and play with him, you just say, I totally understand. This really sucks right now. I really wish that we could, you know, get in a Lego group or I could enroll you in a Lego class or whatever. Um, but that doesn't exist right now. And then just be sad. It's like, I think that's, Mm. we're trying to always stop that from happening. I think it's okay for a whole family right now to just a little bit be sad. This is a traumatic event, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so to just honor it. And when you say, you know, that he needs all of those things and, and he needs that connection, that's absolutely true. But you, you can't fill that role. Try as you might, if this isn't bringing you joy and you're forcing yourself through it, trust me, he feels that. And he'll keep trying to do it more until you feel that need and you never are, right? So he's just going to keep asking you to play more and you're going to keep hating it more and it's going to be a vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, Whereas if you're just honest and let him be sad about it, like you get it and you get that it's disappointing and that you're disappointed too and it sucks. And to just kind of sit in that, that's okay. Hmm. That is something else. It is, uh, there's so much to unpack with this, Cindy, because, you know, like I think that that there is a change in the narrative of what authentic parenthood could look like and also allowing for people to be sad and it be okay and knowing that it will be okay, hopefully, eventually, yeah. right? Well, and let me get, I mean... Even when I say the word authentic, I cringe a little bit because that word has been a bit hijacked lately. And what's Mm -hmm. been branded as authentic isn't really that authentic. So um, and that's where I turn to the word intuitive because um, but it's the same in in the end, the message is the same. It's just that the thing you're thinking here is the thing that comes out of here as much as possible. Um, And you don't filter it. You filter it somewhat for your kids. You know, like you said, talking about deep topics, if you're going to be talking about systemic racism with your child, you know, you're going to be thoughtful. All day. All day. I'll talk about it. (laughs) But if you are, you're going to definitely want to use language that they can understand and a concept that they can understand in their world. But aside from that, you know, whatever you're thinking and feeling needs to be coming out of your mouth at Mm -hmm. pretty much every age. And I think... We have this built up um, understanding as parents that we were supposed to know everything and that we were supposed to teach everything. And it is a learning process together. You have not been a parent before them and they have not been kids before you. So everybody is learning together. And I think the more families approach it that way and be totally honest about how they feel, Hmm. um, that at least creates better environment for, you know, thriving in. So I wonder how much of this is, um, is ancestral. And by that, I mean, I think I posted something on Facebook about not knowing what to do with my kids, you know, during when we were all under lockdown and somebody asked me, were you played with as a kid? Did your parents play with you? And I was like, you know, they didn't, they really didn't. My father, you know, traveled all the time. He wasn't really, he's not very playful. And my mom, I don't think she's very playful either, either. And uh, was dealing with, 
raising six kids at once, you know? And I wonder, but my brothers and sisters are really good at playing with kids. So I don't like they all got the cooking gene. I didn't. They all got the gene to be able to play, you know, easily and happily with kids and be very delightful where I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, (laughs) I wonder how much of that is from how we're raised. And I'm curious about you, you know, you're so abundantly creative. I'm wondering how much that plays into it. Is that even a factor? Uh, it's a factor, but it's it's the same thing. If you come with your DNA, right? You come with how you're baked, and then you just start bouncing off the environment around you and reacting based off your DNA of the things that happen to you. And so mm. where your parents weren't that playful, it maybe just happened that your siblings were cooked in the right way, that they respond to that by being, oh, I wasn't played with. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to play with my kid all day long. Um, and then sometimes they respond like you, where they're like, I didn't develop that skill set in childhood and it doesn't come naturally to me anyway. So I'm double lost. Um, so as far as just (laughs) how that the same for me, um, I am a very creative person and, um, I, I think I am very intuitive and insightful about things, but, uh, some of that I definitely have inherited from wonderful people in my life. And some of that is a, a direct reaction to my childhood of being intentional to do things differently. So, mm-hmm. you know, just like everybody else, I've had people who raised me who hurt me and I've had people who raised me who helped me. And this is what you ended up with. <laughs> for better or for worse, this is what you got. Um, but I don't think anybody should be trying to be me and nobody should be trying to be you. Um, we should just be being honest about about who we are. And there's so much about parenting that we need to take off our plates. Mm. What do you think would be, uh, like if you were thinking of practical practical ways to kind of untangle the expectations around parenthood, what would be your guidance for parents that are struggling with any of this? You know, what is, what is your mission around this? Um, primarily is do, do your research or, uh, t- or, you can follow the kid factory and I'll do it for you if you want. There's so much real science and evidence out there that contradicts what we're told uh, as sort of the default mode of parenting. Hmm. And so much of it is about brain development and DNA and not being capable of molding and engineering and shaping a child. And when you really do your research, what you what you are ended up with, trust me, for two and a half years, I have been trying to get to the bottom of this. And ultimately what I figured out is that this has to be collaborative. There's your child knows themselves better than you know them. And that's really difficult to accept until you've gone down the rabbit hole like I have. Um, And so collaborating with them on their upbringing, and that doesn't mean spoiling them rotten at all. There's, there's, plenty of evidence for the beauty of chores and working hard and they have to contribute to the family, of course, but not having this weight on your shoulders that you're so responsible for who this human becomes and instead working on yourself. And once, if I, if I could make every parent realize something, it would be that if they knew that healing their own wounds and healing themselves and understanding and knowing truly who they are, has a much larger impact on the outcome of their children than any 
parenting strategy or white knuckling or I'm going to be the best parent ever for this kid. You can do that all day long, but I have lived it. I have had the full evolution and I'm telling you that only through me healing my wounds, which I thought I couldn't heal. I thought this is as well as I get and I will, the best chance I have of creating happiness is just raise a child who's happy. I'm not ever going to get past this part of happiness. Mm. It's just not for me. I just too broken, too hurt, whatever it is. Um, And I found out that's not true. And he, my son ended up struggling with mental health issues because I wasn't willing to heal it. And I firmly believe that what we're not willing to heal, we pass on to our children. So he was showing. Let me sit with that for a second. Say that Mm -hmm. again. (laughs) <laughs> wow. What, what oh. we aren't willing to heal, we pass on to our children to have to heal themselves. Damn. Okay, keep I only going. know that because I live <laughs> it. I'm not preaching that anybody. I, I'm pointing to myself when I say that I did it. No, it's just it's just really powerful because we do we do overcompensate a lot right? For what we feel like we didn't get. Let, you know, let me just get it right with my kid. Let me just get it right for my kids. Let me, let me just, you know, if, if something's wrong, I'm going to put them in therapy. I'm going to get them the help that they need. And what I realized, and, and you know this, Cindy, is that, I mean, just to put it out there, my son, um, I believe he's eight, um, that he, you know, would feel things really, really deeply and I'm like, I wonder, is he suffering from depression where he'd he'd be just, you know, destroyed when somebody would not include him at school? And I was like, you know, is he depressed? Is this anxiety? Is it something else? And I reached out to you and said, who do you know um, who might be able to help? And you said, you know, I think he might be a highly sensitive person, which is an actual thing. And <laughs> yep. so, you know, and I'd recommend a play therapist. So- my son has been in play therapy and, you know, my husband and I, my husband, he is great with the kids and he can play with them, but he's not, both of us are kind of in the same camp where it's not entirely natural for us to just get on the floor and just go for it and not, you know, get lost in it. And, you know, we, we both feel like the therapy is for us as parents that we need the help probably way more than our son does, you know, and my son loves play therapy. He (laughs) loves it. He thinks it is so fun, of course, you know, and, and the help has been really helpful to us as well. Um, but, but I understand, I think there's a lot more work to be done, at least personally for me, that, um, maybe there are areas that I've never, um, explored, that are kind of putting me up against this wall over and over again of just feeling, like you said, inadequate and feeling like, um, like I'm, I'm getting this wrong. I'm getting, I would say as a parent, I feel like I'm getting this wrong on the regular and I know I am not alone in that. And so where, where do you even begin? Well, and the really cool thing about what you said was this, this wall you keep healing and hitting and you don't know what it is. And that's that you run into that a lot um, where parents feel inadequate or they feel like something's wrong and they feel like it's them, but they don't really know what it is. Um, and once you've kind of relieved those pressures of like, what is your responsibility versus what isn't it, oftentimes there is still something there. And and like I said about until, until you don't, until you heal, you're going to see it through your children. 
And so that is actually where I ended up creating this intuitive healing coaching that I started was I realized how much I didn't know what to heal. I didn't know what to do next. I had done therapy. Mm -hmm. I had done all the things that a person's supposed to do in order to heal and still felt a little broken. And I was like thinking this is how it will always be. And something just said, no, Cindy, like, no, this can't just be all it's going to be. And that's when I realized that our subconscious, if we can find ways to tap into it, there's so much there that tells us what we need to heal. Um, and what I help people do is just tap into that. I don't help people heal. I help coach people to know how to heal themselves because it's your body knows what it is. And it's really hard to explain. It's much better to experience. But when you can take away all the conscious thoughts that you have, take away all the fears of just what if, you know, what if, what do people think this is weird, whatever. If you can get into, a, you know, a meditative state or whatever it might be. And I use various different ways of getting there because I know that I took all of the weird ones. It, it was not easy for me to, to tap into that. So I learned all the ways that people can kind of get into their own subconscious. And then it will tell you, it'll tell you, it'll take you to something random or a random word. It'll tell you that you're okay. Um, oftentimes that's what people experience um, when they get below the layer of all the conscious thoughts and insecurities. A lot of times the thing that people hear in their intuition is it's okay. You're okay. And you just need to hear that from yourself. And a lot of people find a lot of healing just from that. Hmm. But just when you said that about, you feel like there's a wall and you don't know what it is. Sometimes people are like, I totally know what my issue is and I just haven't dealt with it yet. Um, but a lot of people are like, I went to therapy, I did all these things, mm -hmm. and I still feel stuck, and I still ruminate over ridiculous things. And um, so that's why I ended up creating what I created, because I wasn't totally finding exactly that anywhere. And it was it, driving me a little crazy, because I thought, I had to figure this out for myself. Like, I don't want other people to have to do that. So, um, so yeah, basically just that helping people find what I'm calling your intuition. Other people will call it other things. And it really will tell you what's the thing. What is the wall that you're talking about? So what does working with you look like? What kind of, if somebody is interested, because I'm personally interested, Cindy, <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm a little afraid of the intuitive healing, the woo woo kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know, like, am, am I going to have to meditate? Cause meditation is, uh, is totally not my thing. Or I just, you know, I, I either have a wall or something. So I'm like, what is this going to look like? Mm -hmm. But I know and love you. And, you know, like you are, yeah, I, I know that you've done some various things like a parent university, but you're, the way that you teach things is so freeing and liberating, but it's also like it unlocks things. It like you've helped me so many times just in passing of just, hey, do you know about this? And you're like, yep, here it is. You know, and, and I'm like, oh my God, I never would have thought about of about it that way. And you have very strong opinions on, on certain ways to really honor your own intuition, your, honor your own parenthood and honor your own children. What does it look like to work with you? 
Well, I love that you said um, it all weirds you out because I'm a cynic <laughs> at heart. I love my cynical, sassy side. So I totally am not all in on the woo-woo. Um, I don't, no, I don't think, no, I yeah. don't think magical fairies float in. I need science behind everything. And trust me, I've been on a rabbit hole about quantum physics for the last month and a half. I need science to explain everything. That is my security, my safe space. I'm not going to bring anything into a session that I haven't, um, thoroughly vetted, used myself. Uh, and there's no real magic or tricks to it. It sounds very woo woo, but the deal is, is there are various levels of, of comfort for people. For me, I definitely used to could not meditate. Now I can, but I used to definitely could not, could not sit in silence with my thoughts. I didn't want to do anything that might cause me to cry in front of someone. That was a big mm. deal for me. Um, so this is what happened. I just started finding ways to heal myself um, at my own pace because people kept trying to suggest I had, I wouldn't say I'm still diagnosed with it, uh, but I had PTSD. Um, and that's a very tricky thing to heal um, because it can really come back at any time and you kind of live in fear of it all the time. Mm -hmm. So when I was working through how I was going to heal in that, people wanted to put really aggressive modalities towards me, you know, where I got to go back to the trauma and remember it in detail and do all these things. And I thought, I can't be that vulnerable in front of, front of someone. And I don't want to remember these things. They're, you yeah. know, they're showing up in my, my dreams is enough. So um, I do want to be really clear about not to make this into like a Cindy marketing. I just, I hope other people are practicing this way. I have mentors who practice this way. So you don't have to see me. I'll find you somebody. But uh, it is non-threatening, non-invasive. So what it looks like is going to be different on every person. Um, I do lots of walk and talk. So walking, going for a hike together while we talk, that's very non-aggressive. Um, you know, your eyes, you're not making eye contact with anyone. It feels good. Hmm. Um it could be anything. So I give a checklist when I, when I do intakes and I ask people, are you comfortable with any of these things? And it's about 10 or 12 different things that we could or couldn't do in a session, like restorative yoga, um, some light, like um, reflexology, massage on your hands, just all these little tools I've collected along the way, um, licenses and certifications. And, and you do virtual too, right? I do do virtual. It's not my favorite personally, but I'll do it. Right. <laughs> I'll do it. I like to be in the presence of someone, but I'll do it. Um, but people will check off what they're comfortable or not comfortable with. And you should listen to yourself and you should heal at your pace. That is the most important thing. And I need people to know that because they don't even start because if they see anywhere down that path that they're going to have to be extremely exposed and extremely vulnerable or relive things that are difficult for them, they're never going to show up the first day. Hmm. So it's important. And I stress that to every practitioner that that should not have to be required. How do people have patience with that? If it is healing in your own, on your own pace, like what are the markers of success or progress that, that somebody can track of that? Sure. Well, um, what I find happens is uh, once you can kind of find how you prefer to tap into your subconscious or intuition or whatever your gut, um, and it's different for everybody. Once you find it, it tells you what to do. And I'm just there holding a safe space or giving you permission, you know, and mm -hmm. you'll know what it's telling you. And I'm just telling you that 
the weird thing you think is popping up in your head is a real thing. So you just need me there for that, but you're doing all of the work. Mm. Once that happens and you're told to listen to it and you do listen to it and you see that you, fe- you feel like a weight lifted off or like just something was erased out of your mind that usually is always playing on a record. Once it happens once, you're pretty much ready to, you can, you can do that more quickly. You can do that um, more often and, and you can kind of care for yourself and you can essentially heal yourself. I don't want to say that like there aren't people who absolutely don't need every therapy or modality out there because there are. Um, There's so many different types of therapies and I am a coach. I'm not a licensed therapist. I want to be super clear about that. Whatever works for you works for you. I'm just saying I started this for the people out there who are hurting, but getting by, but aren't quite satisfied with how, with what their healing process is, Mm -hmm. you know? I, uh, I feel like I fall into that category. (laughs) You know, I feel like I've overcome some really big challenges like disordered eating like that. I I understand. I relate to what you said about it. No longer is a thing. It's like when you have hiccups and then you, you just, you don't realize they've gone away. You, they're just gone, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and you're not worried about it all the time. Your mind isn't exploring that aspect. And so I wonder, um, I, I, I do think the pandemic has brought up a lot for us as parents or as people in general, do you specialize in parents and is it female, male, or, or what is it for you? It's probably going to be mothers. Um, so I work with parents and I work with teens. I would say mostly moms. And I would say when I work with teens, it's because they're super excited about who I am and what I do. It's the first question I ask parents because most parents will call someone about their child way before they'll call someone about themselves. And mm-hmm. so I get way more calls about teens that I pivot towards working with the parents because um, teens who like think I'm awesome and they want to work with me and they want, you know, they just can't quite get themselves together. Maybe they're a little ADHD and they, they need life goals or that whatever it is they want to process. Um, anxiety that I do that and it's, it's fine. But I think, um, I prefer to work with the moms because I think they're carrying around a lot more and they're a lot more seasoned. Um, so they, they, once they get it, once it clicks with them, they make rapid progress. And so I, I usually feel like most of the time, if the parent comes in instead, the trickle effect onto their child is going to be greater than working with their child directly, if that makes sense. Wow. That's powerful. So how can people find you? Oh, um, thekidfactory.org <laughs> is the main, that's the main hub. That's where you can find the podcast where you won't have to hear me talk all the time. You'll talk, I'll talk to a lot smarter people than me. Will you stop, Cindy? You're brilliant. <laughs> And then, um, yeah, that's where you'll find everything, honestly, is the kidfactory.org. And kidfactory on Instagram as well. You're yes, really the active underscore kid underscore factory. One last question. What do you know that you wish other people could know? Uh, that you have everything in you that you need. It's already there. I, I guarantee you. Because I have been on the other side of that where I thought I needed a whole lot more than I had to give. You have it. Like, you definitely have. 
everything already there. It's just a matter of connecting with it and communicating with it. It is there. Thank you for returning to Culture Changers, Cindy. The way you serve others is pretty spectacular. I've linked all of her info in the show notes and strongly recommend you follow everything she does because it is gold. As for me, I have a brand new website, a brand new podcast called The Podcaster's Journey, a new blog called The Podcaster's Journal, a brand new live slot on Wednesday evenings on Clubhouse in the Club Pod Club, and I'm continuing to help new podcasters get their shows out into the world, and so much more. Please DM me on the socials or through my website and let's connect. I want to hear from you about this episode. Everything is in the show notes. And as always, thank you for listening and sharing, and I'll see you next week.